0: Broadcasting live from the middle of America, welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. Covering local market data, news, and reports to arm you with information you need to empower your investing and strengthen your American rights. Top Realtor, investor, husband, father, and veteran. Here is your host, Landon Witt. For more information and to listen or watch online, visit OKCRealEstateShow.com. Welcome to episode 64 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. On today's show, we've got Ben Day, owner of Lionshare Share Bookkeeping, here to answer some questions about investment property, home flipping, maybe you're just getting in as a real estate professional, you need some help with your bookkeeping. In fact, we all do. Ben is going to talk to us a little bit about some of the major misconceptions about the industry and also some practical tips to help you get on the right track with your real estate investing. Ben, welcome to the show today.
1: Man, thank you so much. I am so excited to just nerd out about real estate and the finance side and cash flow and all that, man. This is my favorite thing to do. I'm ready to go. Awesome. Well, you've entered the nerd zone
0: for sure. Uh, Ben, tell us a little bit, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, how you got started in this world of bookkeeping for investors.
1: Sure. So I got started in being my own boss uh, when I got fired on Christmas Eve of 2016. Um, At the time, I was doing a little bartending. I had a 1099 gig myself, um, and this business owner that I was working for, it was it was in the music industry. It was really cool. We're doing so much stuff internationally, and uh, and then one day he was so the business owner was just really passionate about what he was doing, but he wasn't watching his money. And overnight, basically, all of his cash dried up, and he had to let go of his whole team. He took six figure productions and brought them down, and his his business is still running today. It's fantastic, but it was this this very crystallizingly clear moment for me where it was like. It doesn't matter how passionate you are about your business. If you don't understand your cash flow, we're in for some trouble. There's just, it's it's so critical. One of the big things we like to talk about with investors and all business owners is that 80% of them are going to fail inside the first year. And most of those problems are related to whether or not they understand their cash flow. Uh, We got into bookkeeping specifically to solve that problem. If you're passionate about your business, about your future, about your legacy, and you want to be successful, you need somebody watching this for you and helping you through this process. The bare minimum we can do is provide bookkeeping.
0: Awesome. Well, Ben, let's jump into the uh, questions here. So one of the main things people kind of need to understand going into this is really what is the difference between your primary dwelling and then your investment properties when we talk about real estate? Now, first, first up, what's the tax situation? What is the bookkeeping recommendations for a primary dwelling?
1: Sure. So when it comes down to like the place that you live in versus the place that you're making money on, we want to keep that as simple as we possibly can. I'm a very big proponent in focusing on the sales and the marketing aspect first. So... Just right off the bat, if you are hung up on whether or not you should go buy that next rent house or maximize your home office, that's a no-brainer for me. You should always be focusing on the next deal. That being said, when we're talking about a primary dwelling, home office deduction is the thing you should do. Um, It's really not – honestly, it is not that difficult. Anytime I've talked to a CPA about it in the past, what they ask is pretty simple – how many square feet does your home office take up? Is it exclusively for your business? And then they take that number and they multiply it by whatever the tax rate is that year for that. Uh, they plug that in. And they say, okay, moving on. And it is, it is just that quick and easy. When you're working out of your house, the best thing to do is say, okay, here's my desk and here are my business things. And it's all in this corner or it's all in this room. And that's all I use it for. So I can take 300 square feet or 15 square feet or whatever it is and just move on. That is such a like I would not spend any time chasing that. I would much rather chase the next deal.
0: Awesome. So chasing the next deal is pretty much what your business is about and re- really we should all be about. The more we can get out there into the field, the more we can engage with new deals, the more we can engage with our business. This is really any industry. Doesn't matter what you are. If you're not acquiring new business, uh, you're getting behind because your competitors uh, most likely are. So um, now let's jump into the top write-offs for investment properties. What do you recommend for those folks?
1: Sure. So the, the uh, most attractive answer here is always depreciation. And honestly, I see most people do depreciation the wrong way. We see a lot of folks try to get complicated with this. We see people talk about you know accelerating their depreciation or taking more than they need up front because they want to keep their income down. Uh, investment property is a long game, you're going to be in that house for a while. There's no reason to do anything crazy to your depreciation at any given moment. Run it, it's called straight line, just take it as easy as it can, take that deduction, and you will be fine. That is honestly, that's the top thing that we have people ask us about and it should be the simplest thing that you do it on a graph and leave it alone um the other big thing that we see happen a whole lot in write-offs is in your repairs and your supplies how do you fix your properties i mean i mean you're gonna so in oklahoma city you can go buy a house for five grand (laughs) if you buy it right and put 50 in and it cash flows all day but what do you do with that 50 or that 30 or what are you doing with your improvements versus your just regular wear and tear What we like to see here and we like to help people understand is that when you're buying that house and you're putting all that cash in, that's not a write off. If I buy a house for five and put 50 in, none of those are tax deductible expenses. It's actually going to make it harder for you to get loans if you do that. Our recommendation as always is to go ahead and capitalize those, make them part of the asset and then you can depreciate that number as well. That, that's something that we see get goofed all the time. It's one of the major reasons that our clients, when they get started with us, can't go get the financing they want because somebody's been at the wheel in their bookkeeping and they've been fundamentally messing up this one key thing. You want to capitalize those costs, make them an asset, and then your actual repairs you can call as expenses. Maybe you're just making stuff better and fixing stuff up as you go throughout the life of the property.
0: Mm. I know that there is that tendency. There's also something that uh, individuals have done that I've talked with, and, and they actually put on the uh, settlement statement. They, they'll go in and they'll hire contractors that they know they're going to renovate, and they actually throw those things on as a line item on the settlement statement. Does that change? I mean, that, that essentially makes it a CapEx? I mean, is that, is that what we're talking about here is, is renovating and then, and then adding that in as the, the acquisition price?
1: Yeah, so in actually, so how we like to explain this is oh, we don't like using a whole lot of accounting language because I think accountants are the worst and they talk over people all the time. Um, so we like to think about it like Burr, like the bigger pockets investing strategy. Each stage in the Burr strategy, buy, rehab, rent, refi, repeat, has a different accounting strategy. So when you are buying that house, every dollar going into that property, as far as you're concerned, is part of the asset. So yeah, if you're if you're tacking on costs to your closing, those are things that you haven't made any money on that house yet. There's no way you can claim that as an expense yet on your taxes. So I, un- I understand that like, it's nice to be able to say, hey, we're coming into this. Here's what this looks like. It's nice to have it all right there and the title company handles it for you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all of that just gets depreciated or the other fun accounting word is amortized uh, if it's something that you can't touch like closing costs or origination fees. Um yeah, I mean, it's just it's all assets, man. We like assets, but we got to claim them in the right place.
0: Next question for you, Ben, is 1031. A lot of folks say it's too much of a hassle. Don't want to worry about a 1031. I would just rather pay the, the capital gains on my asset. Uh, could you briefly describe what a 1031 is? And is that something that a regular investor in residential single family homes should be concerned with?
1: Sure. So without without getting like really in the weeds in here, the core components of a 1031 is that you take some sort of investment vehicle um, that, that could be a house, it could be a land, whatever it is. You take something that is an investment. And when you sell it, you don't want to pay taxes on it. So what the government will let you do is. You can sell it, jump through a million hoops, and end up in a better investment vehicle. So you could sell a single-family house and move into like a, an apartment complex. Or you could sell an apartment complex and move into 10 apartment complexes. Um, the point is that if you can grow your money and provide more and more value to the community, the government will let you delay, or depending on how, on how great your tax planner is, just totally negate your taxes through a 1031 that's kind of that's the high level
0: mm-hmm.
1: now the, the weeds part is those like jumping through hoops we see people get really hung up on this because their team isn't in play from the jump if you are looking at doing a 1031 and this is not something you do on your first deal by the way it's a It's a big issue that we see a lot of beginner investors try to do is they get so excited about 1031s that they can never actually get themselves to buy a house. Uh, So once it's time to do a 1031, you're like, okay, I've got a portfolio. I've got 10, 12 properties. One of these properties, my bookkeeper is telling me, never cash flows. It's just kind of a bad deal. It got me started, but I'm ready for something else. Line up your team. You need to identify the house that you want to get rid of. You need to identify houses potentially that you want to move into or properties that you want to move into. And then you need to build your 1031 team, go to your title company. There are people that specialize exclusively in this to make that whole process easy. But again, it's all about the deal. What's not working, what do you want instead? And then fill in in the middle. So that that 60 day, 90 day window, whatever it is, because it changes and it's the worst, whatever that window ends up being that you need to execute on. If the team is in place and you found the deal, all that's left is the paperwork, and you can just push that through, no problem.
0: Can we can we still do a deal at 1% and make money? I know that my property evaluator says we can, but you as a bookkeeper, can you still do 1% margins, when I mean 1% of the rent versus purchase price uh, ratio, uh, and still make money? Does that, is that a reality?
1: No. No. And I actually, I really hate the 1% rule. Like, it's great on the beginner side where you can begin to understand like oh hundred thousand dollar house thousand dollars a month in rent right and the reality is that that number could be all over the board it depends on market rents uh, and your cash flow depends on way more than what you can rent it for like if we pair the one percent rule with the fifty percent rule what i what i like to really look at cash flow at instead of a one percent or two percent rule is the debt service coverage ratio which is what your lender should be looking at if they're giving you loans um so like and i don't know if you're familiar. Um,
0: we've we've published it before, but i don't quite understand the debt ratio. Go go on with this.
1: Sure. So if you are making $1000 a month like that's your rent and your and we're like this is we're going to make it really dumb and then get crazy, right? $1000 a month in rent, but your mortgage payment is $1000 a month, right? There's zero cash flow there before expenses or any of that, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's a 1.0 debt coverage ratio. For every dollar in rent, you have a dollar in whatever, like in your mortgage payment, principal, interest, the whole bit, right?
0: Right, right.
1: Now, if you had a $500 a month mortgage payment, you're bringing in a thousand bucks and you've got 500, that's a 2.0 debt coverage ratio,
0: right? For every dollar coming in, you got a dollar go- going out. Sure, for every dollar going of rent, out. 50 yeah. cents
1: of that is going towards the mortgage and 50 cents is going into your pocket for things like cutting the grass and utilities and insurance and if your insurance isn't in the mortgage and all of that stuff, right? The regular expenses. Um, and that's your return. So where I think the 1% rule really fails is you have no idea what your financing is going to be like on that deal. And that's where I think the 2% rule fails as well. Cause 2% is like hard to get cause everybody knows it's the best. Mm-hmm. But if you could find a house that cash flows that thousand dollars a month in rent and $500 or less a month in your mortgage payment,
0: mm-hmm.
1: That debt service coverage ratio, that 2.0, is money. That's cash. That is literally cash in the bank, and it makes your banker grin from ear to ear. They're like, "I will lend on that house all day." Most often, bankers will lend on a investment like that if it hits a 1.25 or greater debt coverage ratio. So, if you're bringing in a thousand dollars a month, they will lend you. They'll give you a loan where the payment is like 750 a month, and they're happy about that. They'll do that all day. So the wider that gap, the more cash you have for actual like operating expenses, the more cash you can put in your pocket, and the happier your lender is. So that when you decide to refi, you've um, you've already got wiggle room in there. And yeah, I mean, because like one percent. That could mm-hmm. that could change drastically. That five thousand dollars house that you bought could mm-hmm. rent for a thousand, right? Mm-hmm. By the time it's all said and done. So mm-hmm. I think that's a poor metric. Instead, you should look at market rents, mm-hmm. and then what you think the mortgage payment will be, and that's how you determine your cash flow instantly. I would, I would much rather do that than try to like wiggle into some sort of weird, like hypothetical math. That's not looking at the market that I'm investing in. If you get into real estate, I would go full tilt. Figure out how to sell figure out how to buy, figure out the difference between what you can keep and grow long-term wealth versus what's going to put cash in the bank right now. Like that's just, Hmm. if you can do that, you can do anything. You're running a business at that point. I
0: mean, what is a bad, what is a bad return in 2019 or 2020? Like what? Oh, sure.
1: Anything that underperforms the stock market, I think. Like if you want to, if you (laughs) want (laughs) to. Might as well be in the stocks, right? Right, Yeah. like Let's just go do that. Um, So like, if sure. you prefer real estate and you prefer having a six or eight percent because you know you can leverage it uh, mm-hmm. and that like appreciation and all of that stuff, cool, good for you. Um, but that that is definitely a long burn strategy. I think.
0: Um, What are some of the biggest write-offs for real estate professionals and wholesalers? Now, real estate professional being kind of a hot topic there. And I want you to get into that in a little bit uh, more detail of what is a real estate professional, especially an investor who's thinking of going full-time real estate investor. Uh, But could you briefly describe what we're talking about when we talk about real estate professionals and wholesalers? Are they the same? And, And what are some of the tax benefits that they get?
1: sure so one of the big and so what i love and hate about accounting is that it's a bunch of guys who make up words and apply meaning to them and the rest of us just get to figure it out and nothing exemplifies this more than real estate professional Hmm. the kind of applied thing here is are you active or passive which again words that you think you know what they mean but they're actually just arbitrary and they're defined in the tax law So when we talk about being a real estate professional, there's all of these, again, like criteria that you have to move through. Uh, You can have people who have hundreds of units and aren't an active real estate professional. Uh, You can have somebody that has no units that might qualify as an active real estate professional. So this is just all over the board. When it comes to the write-offs portion of this, uh, whether you're a professional, like as as an agent or an investor, a house flipper, or a wholesaler, the biggest write-offs that you can begin to claim are the ones that you first actually know about and can measure. Um, So we talked a little bit about your home office deduction, not a big deal. What we want to begin to see from these professionals is that they're actually keeping their books correctly. Mm -hmm. So we can see, okay, you spent $10,000 on bandit signs today. Like, Cool. Can we claim that as an expense or not? And then on the professional side, it becomes where and how does that affect our taxes? Does it affect it on an active basis where we can begin to really offset a lot of our other income? Or does it affect it on a passive basis where it still offsets some things, but there are more rules and regulations tied to that? Hmm. Uh, so, and I mean, look, like I can nerd out about that all day and, and, and we can point out some different things that wholesalers can and should claim or or agents can and should claim um but uh, i mean at the end of the day as far as active and passive Mm -hmm. that is just such a such a nitpicky tax law thing um big things that i see people skip are things like mileage in their car which again should be super easy Mm -hmm. Uh, especially if you're a wholesaler driving through dollars like get those dollar bills back um You can take business meals. You can take coaching. If you're hesitating on getting a real estate coach, Mm -hmm. claim business coaching as an expense. Get out there and grow. I'm all about that. There are huge write-offs you can have. You just have to have the money and spend the money.
0: Now, one of the things that's changed recently is is our entertainment and meals. Well, how have you noticed that? I mean, are they still? I mean, it's what fifty percent of your of your meals and entertainment. I mean, as investors and as you know, I'm as a real estate agent myself. You know, we're constantly going out and and eating dinner here, or maybe we uh, promote a open house event here, and those are those are entertainment and meal expenses. Have you noticed any differences there?
1: Sure. So entertainment is right out. Um, if you're if you're taking clients to go see movie tickets, I sure hope they're giving you money. Um and, and that's kind of my my biggest takeaway on meals and entertainment really is that it's first, we all like tax deductions. So mm-hmm. on on the meals side specifically, if you're not sure but you know it's for business, it's probably fifty percent. Um if it's some sort of advertising or sponsorship, you gotta look at the rules to see if it's a hundred percent. But more often than not, meals are gonna fall in that fifty percent category. And there's a lot of talk about meals going all the way out as far as business expenses because so many people abuse it. Hmm. Uh, it's really hmm. meant to be a business expense if you're using it for business and then people buy their groceries. Hmm. Uh, or, they, or they take their spouse to dinner and say it was a business meeting and write it all off, which was not the intent um, of the law. So we're kind of looking at that. But the bigger picture here is, The next deal, kind of the same thing that I led with at the beginning, if Mm -hmm. you take a client out to dinner and drop two grand on steaks and a bottle of wine and then go take them to see the Avengers after, like whatever it is, whether or not that's all a tax deduction or if you can prove that it's all a tax deduction, did that cash flow out of your business result in cash flow into your business? Mm. Whether it's the next deal or the next acquisition. And you can begin to measure and track that if your bookkeeping is in order. So on the tax write-off side, 50% generally for meals, 0% for entertainment. Don't think that your movie tickets are getting written off. But more than that, watch your cash. Even if it's a business expense, is it generating new money for you? And if it doesn't, is it is that gonna break you in, in essence?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so getting into the next, uh, kind of deeper here into bookkeeping for investors in the first off, what is the most common scenario in which you feel like a bookkeeper just comes in and just really adds value to the real estate transaction or the real estate situation?
1: Oh, I love this question. Um, So what we see more often than not is that there are real estate investors, they're kind of mom and pop, they they may have one to two to three properties, and they're looking to scale those are not the people that we serve best uh, mostly because we're expensive and we recognize that we take all of their cash flow what we really what we really begin to help people is when they're trying to leverage when they're not just growing their real estate ownership but their real estate business uh, we believe that owning real estate is like owning a piggy bank but owning a real estate business is like owning a cash printing machine uh, and so our biggest value comes into play when you are, Looking for the best loans or trying to strategize that 1031, and you need to know where your asset basis is at. Uh, It's where you are just full tilt in sales and marketing, and you need to make sure that somebody is in play that's watching the admin and finance side of your business. It's when you are doing a whole lot of flips or doing a whole lot of renovations, and you want to know where you're at in your budget for that. It's really our best service is to the people that are looking to actively grow their real estate business and know that they're maybe not best suited or just frankly don't have the time to do their own bookkeeping.
0: Hmm. So give me an example of in 2019, we've got uh, a situation where, uh, you know, Oklahoma City has been uh, saturated with uh, overseas investors. We've had I mean, I've had calls coming in from Israel, China, Vietnam, California, New York, Florida, um, all looking to the Midwest now and the Southwest to invest. These individuals may have properties scattered throughout the United States, and, and they are looking to expand into a linear territory uh, like Oklahoma City. Um, how do you fit into that situation in which their properties are maybe spread across the nation?
1: Perfect question. So I'm an Oklahoma boy, born and raised in Oklahoma City. I went to OU um, and we serve clients from Maine to Hawaii. I currently, like I moved over the summer to Kansas uh, for my girlfriend who's going to law school uh she's gonna buy me a really nice house someday and i'm gonna buy her groceries right now that's the agreement and uh so but the location really is no longer an issue for us or for anybody we have clients who still think we're down the street from them in oklahoma city uh, just because everything we do is virtual everything can be online i'm a young guy i love technology i love apps i know how to leverage them to get business owners out of the busy work here so that we can take it on from anywhere. So when it comes to how does this begin to integrate with any business owner in any place, whether you're down the street or across the nation, the answer is, do you have a stable internet connection? And if so, we can probably help you. Excellent.
0: Excellent. Now, I did notice that you are certified uh, with QuickBooks. I know a lot of individuals in the real estate world, especially real estate agents, Use QuickBooks. It can be an easy way, but oftentimes we don't know how much taxes to put aside. We don't understand exactly what we can maybe uh, write off as an expense, or maybe just we need to get caught up. Oftentimes our summer gets so busy, we're doing so many real estate transactions during that busy season. We hit the fall and we don't quite remember what happened and we kind of get overwhelmed. And then our business starts to suffer because instead of going out there making the calls or making appointments or checking up on our sphere of influence, we were often doing hour after hour on QuickBooks and then trying to learn the latest updates. What do you have to say for just your regular real estate agent that may be able to use your services?
1: Sure. So first of all, yeah, like it's November right now as, as we're recording this. Uh, and I am still asking people questions related to July and August because, yeah, it's like you get into that those summertime seasons, volume is high, and it's like, Man, I don't have time to talk to my bookkeeper every day. That's the last thing I want to do. And that's the last thing you should be doing as well. So whenever we're, whenever we're working with anybody, especially somebody that's kind of high sales like that, the best thing we can do first is make sure that there are systems in place so they don't forget. Mm-hmm. Um, more often than not, I t- like to tell people that I am a mind reader and I'm a bad mind reader. So I can do my best to guess at things. Uh, And and my team is really good at guessing at things, but we just don't know. So there has to be a system in place up front so that as you're hustling, working 12-hour days, there's got to be a good way for you to give us that information so that you don't have to be responsible for it anymore. That's one of the big things that we set up. On the flip side of that, then, it is the accountability. If you are out hustling deals all the time, you're always getting an email from your bookkeeper, whoever you've put in charge of your admin, saying, Hey, I know you're crazy right now, but here's what we need. Here's what you're thinking about. Even though you haven't given us stuff, here's still some cash flow feedback for you so you can understand your business. All of those things can continue to run while you are busy if the systems and the team is in play. Uh, I mean, that's, that's how most of our guys get through the summer. And then as soon as the fall hits, they're like, okay, now let's go deep and I'll answer all 27 of your questions.
0: The key to success is a great team. And part of funding a great team is making sure your cash flow is in place. You can check out more information on Ben at LionShareBookkeeping.com. Dot com. Ben, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks for answering some of these common questions that we have in this industry. Again, for more information or just to understand each one of you may have very specific questions. You can find them at lionsharebookkeeping.com. There's a link on there. You can set up an appointment to talk with Ben, to have your questions answered and find out if Ben is the right choice for your company. Uh, ben, thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, dude, it's my pleasure. Anytime. Awesome. And as always, for local market information, you're looking for new developments. Maybe you just want to know what neighborhood is good to invest in. Check out OKCRealEstateShow.com. Thanks for watching. For more information and to listen or watch online, visit Mm OKCRealEstateShow.com.